Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Preece of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Every time I get together with you guys, I learn so much. And today is going to be especially like a fire hose like it was last last episode, because, Michael, we've got Paul Dietrich back on the show, right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, All right. We're well, excited. Yeah. I mean, we've had a ton of podcasts. You guys are just rock stars. And Paul's been on the show before. Uh, but in case somebody's joining us for the very first time, Michael, why don't you introduce Paul to the audience again, would you? Sure. Well, Paul is the chief investment strategist of, of B. Riley, which is, I'll, I'll let Paul um, briefly give the history of his company and, and what they do. But yes, Paul's been a a frequent guest. And this may be the fifth or sixth time we've had you on, Paul. It's always great to talk to you. So thank you again for being on here. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Always a pleasure. I always love uh, talking with you guys. B. Riley Wealth Management, we're part of B. Riley Financial, which is a publicly traded company. Fortune Magazine had us as the second fastest growing company in the United States in 2021. Our stock price uh, basically doubled. And uh, I'm the chief investment strategist. I you know, help oversee uh, about $33 billion in client assets. And I, I have my own investment strategies that I manage that have done extremely well. So uh, that's kind of it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely an underachiever, Paul, is, uh, <laughs> as you'll find. So. And by the way, full disclosure, he manages my portfolio. <laughs> so just, yeah, he right. does. All right. Well, let's, let's talk. Speaking of portfolios, Paul, let's start off here. When we had you on for part one before we had talked a lot about, you had talked a lot about what we saw in 2021, uh, such a, a strange year, for lack of a better term, uh, in 2021. Now we're into early 2022. And we're seeing a little bit of stock market volatility. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe either A, what's causing that, and maybe what the outlook might be going forward here this year. Yeah. You know, Wall Street hates uncertainty. And, and the month of January was just a, a crazy month in terms of the stock market, where we saw the market drop a thousand points in the morning and then end up a couple hundred points in the green later at the end of the day, that's got to just drive most investors crazy. They hate that kind of volatility. But investors were worried about inflation, the, uh, the Omicron uh, COVID variant, Federal Reserve rate hikes, and Russia's threatened invasion of the Ukraine. But people look at the last four years from 2019, 2020, 2021, actually in 2018 too, you will see that January has always been an extremely volatile uh, month. And part of it is, and most analysts understand this, but most investors don't, is that a lot of institutional investors at the end of the year 
or the beginning of the next year, what they do is they sell a lot of their stocks in order to lock in capital gains or capital losses so that they can write them off their taxes for next year. So they've got more than 12 months to to have to figure out the tax planning. And a lot of institutional investors do it. A lot of sophisticated uh, investors do this as a matter of course. And so sometime in January, February, people are unloading a lot of stocks to lock in capital gains and losses. And eventually, usually within a, a month or so, they get back into the market and you see it come back. And so a lot of this volatility, even though most of the pundits on TV and the things you read in the newspapers talk about inflation, COVID, Federal Reserve, rate hikes, Russia, um, the real reason <laughs> is it's taxes. It's taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, Our favorite topic. yeah, so that's something that everyone just has to keep in mind. And, and you know, again, I believe uh, the market at the end of 2021 was also quite overvalued. If you look at what uh, you have to, because of, of COVID and the lockdowns and everything, you really can't be looking at price earnings ratios backwards. You have to look forward price earnings ratios. And we were at 20, we were about 21 point, the S&P was at 21.3 times earnings. And the long-term 10-year average is 16.7 times earnings. And so we were overvalued. And what's happened as, you know, the market has come down and, you know, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people thought. The the S&P 500 index was just down in January, 5.3%. The Dow was down just 3.3%. 3.3%. The next NASDAQ was down nearly 9%. And boy, that's what people um, remembered all those tech yeah. stocks. And But still, that's a garden variety pullback. That's not a major market correction by any means. And so now that we're back at about 19.2 times earnings, Actually, the market is getting closer, even though it's still a little overvalued, to average fair market value. We found out that the economy GDP grew by 5.7%. That's the highest since 1980. Um, Apple and Microsoft just announced stellar earnings. And CEOs overall are delivering optimistic earnings projections despite supply chain disruptions, suffering staffing shortages and COVID-related issues. And most analysts are predicting for the S&P 500 as a whole about a 9.5% overall earnings growth. And earnings drive the stock market. And I've I've been predicting that we're going to have a minimum of a double-digit gain in the stock market from January 1st to December 31st, I'm, I believe we'll be up 12, 13% at a minimum. And as I think I mentioned before, energy stocks are expected to increase their earnings by 45% this year. And as I said, that's good news for the stock market, but terrible news for consumers and inflation. Um, industrials are expected to increase earnings by 39%. Um, technology is is only expected to grow earnings by about 9%. One of the things that uh, you have to know about, if the Federal Reserve increases their interest rates, as they say they're going to do 
it'll be about 1% at the end of this year. That does affect some technology companies. It's not going to affect Microsoft and Apple and Amazon and Google, but it, it, because those technology companies not only have earn, revenues, but they have real strong earnings. Whereas most tech companies, most NASDAQ companies, they have revenues, but they don't have earnings, which means they still have to go and borrow money from banks or venture capital groups or investors uh, in order to stay alive. And so that's something you have to consider when you're invested in smaller tech companies, uh, that that's it's going to impact earnings because they're just going to have higher costs to keep going. The one thing you have to realize is that higher Fed interest rates, they don't mean that the bull market is ending so long as economic growth remains strong. And if you look at what's happening, we're, uh, we're doing real well. I always tell my clients that they have to be able to distinguish between noise in the market and the underlying economy. I mean, when we were listening to all the stuff about Russia invading Ukraine, I kept thinking that, that was one of the reasons why the market dropped a thousand points uh, during that period of time. In, in, if people forget that in January and early February of 2014, Russia invaded the Ukrainian territory of Crimea. And over a 10-day period, the stock market dropped 8%. Uh, but 20 days later, the stock market fully recovered and it hit a new high for the year. And I think most analysts expect the same thing if Russia invades the Ukraine, although this is going to be bigger than Crimea. So we might have over a 10% drop. But once people realize that it will have no impact, literally no impact on the U.S. underlying economy, then it's going to go right back up again like it did before. The U.S. doesn't buy much of anything from the Ukraine. And because of sanctions, we buy and sell almost nothing from Russia. It's some commodities, and that's about it. Um, we import only $1.1 billion a year from the Ukraine. We only import $24 billion in some commodities from Russia. And that's out of a total $2.8 trillion that we import from the rest of the world. So depending on how long the war lasts, if it even even if they, if they invade, uh, the invasion will only have a small or short-term impact on the stock market, but it literally will have no impact uh, on the U.S. economy. It will have more of an impact on Germany and France because they get a lot of natural gas, but they've all got a plan B for making sure they have enough uh, natural gas. Uh, my own view is it's not going to happen. It's going to happen sometime after the Olympics, which end February 20th and before the 1st of April, because they have to come in to, I'm told by military sources, they have to come in while the ground is frozen and it starts to thaw in the Ukraine in April. So that's where, where we are on that. So we could see a 10% or more decline for a very short period of time. And you just got to prepare yourself for it. You got to realize that it's complete noise and you shouldn't pay any attention to it. 
let me tell you what you should pay attention to. And this is what I, I, I hammer home with my own clients is that they need to be myopically focused on what are the primary drivers of the U.S. economy and, and economic growth in 2022. And the two drivers are, one, we will have full employment, which we kind of do right now in the U.S. for anyone who wants to work. I've talked about that. The, the last time we had uh, a major recession with full employment was like never. Uh, and so we have more jobs available than we have workers to fill them. And that's really good. The, the second thing that we have to remember, and this is different, the US government will start pumping in 1.2 trillion in infrastructure spending into the economy. And uh, it'll be over the, you know, the, the, it's starting already. Uh, there are some states that are already using the money, and we saw that bridge collapse recently yeah. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. And so that money is starting to come in, and a lot of it's going to be front-loaded in the first few years, but it'll be over an eight-year period. So we'll, we'll have $120 billion or so a year coming in. And the good news is it's not going to just like most money going into New York and California. This is going all over the United States. It's going to create about 660,000 new jobs. They're good paying jobs. They'll pay union wages. And people are going to be spending that money at Walmart, McDonald's, and Home Depot. And that's going to drive earnings up. And what they don't spend they're going to save and put away for their retirement, which will go into the stock market, which is good. It drives up the stock market. And so we've got that. And then one of the things, John and Michael, you and I have been talking about is the Build Back Better bill, which was kind of a scam. Uh, the way we're trying to fund it uh, <laughs> is dead. It's dead as a doornail. Um, it, and I have a friend who works for Senator Joe Manchin, and I talked to him last week, and they are in talks. There are talks between staff in the White House and Senator Manchin on putting together something that he would approve of and that had real financials that that weren't made up <laughs> that that the congressional budget office approved and outsiders audited it wasn't just coming out of the fevered mind of the progressive left-wing congress people uh, so and what they're talking about uh, right now is is universal pre-kindergarten which a lot of Republicans have. Well, he liked that. I think years. he mentioned he liked that. Yeah, he uh, mentioned likes that. And also it would free up uh, a lot of people just can't afford daycare. It's gotten really expensive. And it tell me about free, it. Free, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would free up a lot of women to go back into the workforce, which we desperately need. So that's one thing. And then there are some expansions to the Affordable Care Act, the old Obamacare 
there were always some pockets where people were falling through the cracks and he's for filling in those pockets. And then there's several hundred billions of dollars for uh, climate related spending that has nothing to do with coal, <laughs> which right. we know Senator Manchin is partial to mm -hmm. coming from West Virginia. Uh, and that's it. And it'll probably be about one and a half trillion dollars spent over 10 years. And he has agreed that they are going to raise taxes on billionaires. Uh, the taxes will not be all the taxes that they talked about in the Build Back Better, but they can fund this purely out of taxes that go to billionaires. Uh, they're not going to be raising capital gains taxes. You Let's know, there were some people who wanted to get rid of the SALT tax, which was the Democrats trying to give money back to billionaires in New York and California, um, high taxed states, uh, liberal states. And so that's not going to be in there. He told me it's just going to be the raising taxes on billionaires. And so that's where we stand. And if you think about, we have full employment, these bills are going to create a minimum of 660,000 new jobs. We're going to even have uh, more jobs than we have workers for. And all this money is going to be pumped into the economy. And God knows we've needed infrastructure. We've been living oh, off of the Eisenhower administration yeah. for 70 years. And even President Trump, you know, every week was infrastructure week and he could never get it through. And now it's through and it's, it's, it's going to increase productivity in the United States because there's a lot of money to make internet ubiquitous everywhere. And I often, when I travel to other countries, uh, especially China and some other countries, I come back to the United States and I have trouble getting a signal in some areas on the highway. And I feel like I'm in a third world country. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Hey, Paul, I'm going to interrupt on the debt side. And a lot of our clients, they always ask us questions about the debt we have in the United States and all the spending all that sounds wonderful and the supporting everybody under the sun, but we still carrying roughly 30, 30 trillion dollars in debt, which is really not necessarily the right number, real number. It's all our obligations got to be in on top of that, which is a lot bigger number. And if they raise interest rates, give, give me your thoughts on how that's going to work. That's I, we've never been in this position ever in our lifetime that, all the things I've been reading. I mean, I go back to the inflation days in, in the eighties, they bumped, inflation rate was high and they just bumped up the interest rates and matched it and leveled it out. They can't do that now. So what's your read on the debt side of things as well as the interest rate environment? Yeah. I, I hate to get into the weeds on all of this, but let me put it this way. If the government spends uh, and it's fully paid for by taxes, it shouldn't raise inflation. Right. And so we are, and we have been, every year of the Trump administration, uh, the Republicans, who we always thought were more fiscally conservatives, but even before COVID, um, we were overspending by a trillion dollars a year. We were adding to the debt a trillion dollars of spending that we didn't have in revenue 
during the uh, Trump administration, and we've been continuing that with the Biden administration. Yeah, Yeah, the Democrats, they've never seen anything that they want to spend on that they don't like. But we expected the Republicans to be more responsible, and they were spending on their pet projects like drunken sailors. And I I mean no disrespect to drunken sailors, but (laughs) uh, it's... uh, it was just terrible. And and that's a large part of why we're up at $30 trillion in debt. And I'll, and I'll tell you in a moment how we're going to get rid of that uh, without raising taxes. But in 2020, the year of, right before the election, we did spend several trillion dollars for COVID relief. And most people, most analysts, most economists, think we had to do that. I mean, if we had just let people starve to death with no jobs, anything else, the country would have been in depression. So I don't blame Congress for doing that. And I don't blame the Democrats for doing that first big uh, bill at the beginning of, of 2021. We needed to do that. And that was spending that didn't have any backing. So We're probably seeing a little of the inflation. I figure about half the inflation that we're seeing right now came from the massive three trillion or so that we did during Trump and the 1.8 trillion we did during Biden. Um, So that's probably about half the inflation. The rest is supply chain issues and shortages that, like I was mentioning with food, people have to build back their herds and things like that. Um, So that's where we are. But you always have to make that distinction. The infrastructure bill is fully funded. And according to Joe Biden's staff, is that if they do pass a, a, a scaled down version of the Build Back Better with just three elements in it, it will be funded by ta- tax increases of a billion and a half dollars over 10 years uh, of billionaires. So that shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't affect inflation. However, what are we going, how are we going to pay off that $30 trillion? A million dollar question or yeah, trillion dollar question. A trillion dollar question. And I will tell you the dirty little secret in Washington that every Democrat and every Republican knows, but nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody will go on the record talking about this, is that the fact of the matter is, is that only 50 percent uh, of Americans actually pay taxes. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah f- only 50 percent, even people who are who are working, uh, you have to make a certain amount of money uh, in order to pay taxes. And but all personal tax revenues comes from 50 percent of the people. And that's probably you and me and most of the people who are listening to this podcast. Now, if the government, and this used to be kind of conservative economic theory, is that we either ought to raise taxes or cut spending in order to pay off the debt. And uh, now nobody believes that, either Republicans or or Democrats, um, because nobody wants to cut spending on programs that are popular um, and no one wants to raise taxes, certainly not Republicans. We cut taxes. And then there's the feeling of, okay, 
it's going to be only 50% of the United States that's going to have to pay all those taxes in order to pay off the debt. And that seems a little unfair. So what the Democrats and the Republicans have come up with over the last 40 years or so uh, is that we're just going to devalue uh, the U.S. dollar. And since most other countries are doing the same thing, you don't really notice it. It's like putting a frog in boiling water and just turning or, or in hot water and turning <laughs> it up. Uh, you don't know that you're boiling. But we've been doing this forever. If you go on to the Federal Reserve website on the home page, I think they were founded in 1919. Uh, they have a calculator that shows what a 1919 US dollar was worth, what it could buy in 1919, and what it's worth today, four cents. Uh, and so we've been devaluing the US dollar forever. Uh, we did it during World War II. We basically did it through inflation during the Jimmy Carter period in that the four years when we had like about 17% inflation for four compounded years, we paid off 60% of the Vietnam War debt in those four years just through devaluation. And we didn't have to uh, raise any taxes. And People forget that during those four years of high inflation, we had a stock market that went up higher than inflation. So it, it wasn't like people who were at least investing in stocks didn't make money during that period. I remember of time. They, made a, they made a ton. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to do that again. And so not only by devaluing the US dollar does everybody in America pay their fair share of this debt. Uh, I mean, even illegal immigrants, when they go and buy things at uh, 7-Eleven and Costco and Walmart, with a devalued dollar, they're paying their fair share. Everybody pays their fair share. Also, Japan is our largest buyer of, uh, of treasury bills, and China has about $1 trillion uh, of our debt. And so that's pretty small in the 30 trillion uh, debt range. But Europe, uh, everybody is going to pay their fair share. And so I used to think, like most conservative Republicans, that the, the taxpayers ought to either pay it or we ought to cut spending. And now I have gone with everybody in Washington that if they want I'm part of the 50% that pays taxes. And so I think it's unfair that the 50% of Americans have to pay off the whole debt. I find it much fairer that illegal immigrants and everybody, including the Chinese, the British, the Japanese, they get to pay their fair share. That sounds so much more fair to me. Uh, and that's exactly how we're going to do it. It's just you won't get a politician to say that's what we're going to do, but that is what we're going to do. Now, is that going to be over over time? To your point, it's going to be over a long yeah. period of time that they're not going to just you know, ratchet it like next year. Right. No, no, no. Okay. It, it will be over. We've always done it over a long period of time. Carter did it over a short period of time uh, <laughs> of four years. Uh, but if we do this over the next 10 years or so, or 15 years. Um, and since everybody, every other government is doing the same thing, 
uh, you, we don't notice it. it, it again, it's like uh, moving up uh, the boiling water by one degree every day. Yeah, you just get used to it. And also, it seems to be a fair way of doing it. And I talked to uh, a Chinese uh, diplomat a few years ago, and I said, you do know that when you buy a treasury bond uh, for, let's just say, a million dollars, um, you pay a million dollars worth of today's dollar. And when we pay you back 30 years from now, it's not going to exactly. buy or be worth a million dollars. And he just laughed and he said, look, we know what you're doing uh, and we know how to hedge just as well as anybody on Wall Street. And we just hedge. And so it's the people who don't hedge, they'll, they'll feel it more in either inflation or in some other way. Um, but don't feel sorry for Japan or China or Europe. They know what we're doing. Uh, they've been briefed. It's just, you know, regular people have it. <laughs> hey, Paul, listen, we've got to end this a uh, couple minutes. Um, any final thoughts you have for our listeners that any great wisdom that they can carry from this podcast that you might have them step a little tonight thinking about it? Yeah, it, it, I mean, really, investors, you're, you're going to see a lot of volatility this year if Russia does invade. Ukraine, you could see higher oil prices, then that will freak people out. Uh, and you're also going to see the market and it could go down more than 10%. Don't get freaked out because the minute people realize that it has no effect on the underlying economy, it's going to bounce right back and hit higher highs. And so, so investors need to be myopically focused on the underlying fundamentals of the US economy. And that is we effectively have full employment and all this government money is going to be pumped in over the next few years, creating new jobs, creating productive, a more productive economy because of the infrastructure. And if something is impacting the stock market and does not substantially affect, you know, it affects maybe the stock market like an invasion of Ukraine, but it doesn't affect the underlying economy, it's noise and just tune it out. Yeah, Paul, I want to thank you again for being yes. on with thank us so much, um, these last two. It's, it's been great and enlightening as always. And that's one thing that you've talked about a lot. And, and I remember you saying that you don't time the market, you time the economy. And that's, I think, is good wisdom and good advice is it's difficult to avoid a lot of the noise out there. Um, you know, some noise is louder than others, obviously, but you have to stay disciplined and, and focused. So that was great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Again, Paul, uh, I, I'm going to just echo what they said. Thank you so much. I learn a ton when you're on the show. So thank you again for being here. And of course, John and Michael, thank you for facilitating this and giving a, a forum to Paul uh, to to be able to educate and, and help the audience. So thank you so much for bringing him on the show again. And like I said, on the last podcast, Paul brought up so much information and so much discussion. I, I'm thinking that a lot of people listening might have questions and they might have questions about what they can do to either protect themselves from what you guys have been talking about a little bit or take advantage of certain things that you guys have been talking about. If they want to reach out, what's the best way to get well, on? You can reach out to us on, on social media and LinkedIn. And I know Paul is uh, very active on, on that as well. You can always reach us uh, uh, there. You can also always call us on the phone. Our number is area code 856-988-8300. 
And our website, if you want to get in touch with us that way, is www.cbfgllc.com. It's that easy. Thanks, guys, very much. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. B. Riley Financial, American Portfolios, and Copper Beach Financial Group are unaffiliated business entities.